This is episode two of a two-part series on shame. I'm Mariel Lemaire, and I'm your host. On the first episode of A Prison Called Shame, we focused on the role understanding our own biology and epigenetic mechanisms play in healing shame. We discussed why awareness and lifestyle changes help but don't heal us, how unexpressed emotion leads to toxic behavior, and we also explored the interplay between shame and addiction and how we develop a dependency on the chemicals released in our body when we feel shame. On today's episode, we talk about addressing toxic shame at its core, how to uncover, release, and begin healing from this maladaptive behavior pattern that distorts reality, impacts our internal chemistry, influences our behavior, and affects our mental health. We cannot change what we don't understand, which is why I created the series because shame is complex and often a misunderstood emotion. Shame sells us the narrative that there is something inherently wrong with who we are, that we're unlovable, and that by default, we're deserving of any trauma and emotional pain in our lives, even if we aren't responsible for the violation that has been committed against us. Evaluating the magnitude, depth, and impact of shame is intricate for several reasons. First, because shame thrives on being undetected, so it masks itself behind other emotions and it compels us to seek pseudo-comforters such as uh, substance abuse, so secret addictions, obsessive compulsive behavior, disordered eating, etc. And these things then create challenging circumstances legitimate challenging circumstances to distract us from identifying and calling out shame, which keeps us cemented in it. A second reason that is sometimes the root of toxic shame is planted in an incident that is concrete and other times on accumulated incidents that are abstract. And to take that even a step further, shame is transferable so it can be passed on to us pre-birth but also it can be generational so if our parents and primary caregivers between birth and the age of nine didn't process their own shame they can and will project it onto us so so many times when we're trying to uncover shame and can't recall a specific childhood incident it can't feel very disheartening not to be able to make that connection to the point of origin and that's when generational uh, and pre-birth shame is probably in in place how do we uncover shame first i'd like to say the most important step is to take full responsibility for our own emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. This is the starting point of a shift in perspective about emotions and our own personal story. Because when we understand that feelings aren't something that take place outside of us, that it's an energy 
that's being activated within our body because of our thoughts, our interpretation of an incident, our reaction to an interaction, and our belief system, everything that happens within that domain is 100% our responsibility. And as adults, we're the ones that decide, I'm going to feel some type of way because of what just happened. The way in which we access, process, and express emotion present time is informed by our inner child. And if our inner child or that part of our brain, right, that's connected to when we were a child, uh, believes I'm worthless, unlovable, I deserve this, but is also rigidly holding on to a narrative where they feel that what was done to them is hurtful and unfair, that creates an expectation of how life should and could be, but isn't. The adult then, you know, goes on a quest to, you know, the adult self goes on a quest to find evidence that validates the belief of how horrible and deserving we are, you know, how horrible and undeserving we are And we engage in self-defeating behavior that puts us on a carousel of despair where we're unable to get off from. This is where reparenting our inner child to stop feeling victimized by our emotions uh, comes into play. Because when we feel bullied by our own emotions, we resort to living in survival mode and to, you know, numbing out our emotions and the ability to, you know, our ability to heal and thrive in life might seem, you know, when we're engaging in that dynamic might seem like it's unattainable, which shrinks the quality of our everyday life because it disconnects us from love and it sabotages our potential and hinders our uh, our, our own personal growth. If we Don't interrupt the storyline that the wounded child within is telling. Then we are going to sit there and complain when our day-to-day doesn't improve and we just experience a tragic thing after tragic thing. And we can be tempted to blame what happened to us 26 years ago for our present time for present time suffering, even when the person or the situation is over uh, and it's done. And the thing that I want to let you kind of like highlight and point out about doing that, about holding on to the past in that way, is that I promise you that at no point has that person laid in bed agonizing at night with remorse over the pain they caused you they're just out there living their life and yes does that seem unfair it sounds like it sucks it does but reality and life don't always go the way we think is fair and that's when we have to make that decision to lovingly bring that child or our inner child to the other side and let it know that we're moving on and that we're determined to determine to thrive and to fight for our own well-being.
when we take full responsibility for our own well-being and admit that our current problems are being created by us, we stop feeling subjugated by our emotions. And instead, we can relate to our emotions as a compass that points us towards our wound, give us inform- gives us information about what needs to be uncovered and released to unburden our system. Only then can we ask better questions that lead us to the core lie or the core misunderstanding we're telling ourselves about our lovability. So instead of asking, you know, when that shift happens, when we take responsibility in that way, instead of asking, how do I let go of the shame? We ask, we're we're able to ask, why am I holding on to and protecting the emotional pain coming from shame, even though it's ruining my health, even though it's sabotaging my relationships, my career and my life? Ask yourself, what benefits am I getting from holding on to and working so hard to keep up this facade to conceal the shame? Many times we hold on to the past and to a specific emotional state, yes, because of how I explained last episode, in the first episode, we develop an addiction to the chemicals released in our system by shame. But another piece to that, to add another piece to that, is that we want to keep that struggle storyline alive because somehow we want to show and validate the injustice that would that was done to us. And somehow, somewhere in our mind, we want to wear this experience as a medal of honor. Many times, we understand that we need and we should let it go. But we believe that if we let go, if we let it go, if we release the shame, then we're somehow colluding with the offender. And I want you to know that accepting what happened doesn't mean you agree with the violation or think the person was right for doing what they did to you. What you're doing is extracting your energy from that incident and taking your power back because acceptance is the only way to unbind your own energy from that person, place, or situations. Otherwise, you are you remain glued to it by this invisible energy cord. Even if you've uh, even if you've broken contact with that person, even if you've left the relationship, that home or the job, if you continue to protect the memory, that particular memory that triggered, or those particular memories that trigger that trigger the shame, or that are the the base of the shame your body will continue to relive the past every single day and your every day will continue to reinforce the story of why you're so unworthy i'm not saying to invalidate the importance of what happened to you but it's okay to accept what happened address the trauma it created and to Gift yourself a new life, you know, where you aren't defined by pain and a ghost of the past 
because pain isn't who you are. You are love and you've just forgotten that because you've been in, in, in emotional pain and turmoil for so long. You know, when we reappraise why we're holding on to shame and take responsibility for how we feel, we create a safe space for us to explore our feelings. This is central to true healing and emotional freedom. Once we open to the possibility of compassionately exploring where the shame is coming from, that decision can harmonize and bring coherence to our body. It connects us to our authentic essence. It realigns us to the frequency of love. We reawaken our heart and activate our limitless creative capacity. The role our attachment style plays in healing shame. This is, so our attachment style take center stage when there is toxic shame because we are born with an intrinsic need for love and human connection. Our attachment style or attachment patterns influence how each of us react to our needs and how we go about getting them met these patterns form in early childhood using our experience with our parents and primary caregivers as the point of reference we use to form connections to others in adulthood but also i believe i also believe that it goes beyond that that our attachment style influences how we connect to community uh, to science and medicine, alternative healing modalities, education, politics, and spirituality. And just for the sake of providing a fuller picture, there are four different attachment styles in the attachment style theories. And three out of the four are maladaptive behavioral, uh, behavior patterns. The first one is secure, and the other three, which are the maladaptive behavior patterns, are anxious, preoccupied, dismissive, avoidant, and fearful avoidant. The thing about these three attachment styles have in common is that they develop when parents are not in tune with the child's primary need, when their presence uh, and love is unpredictable, when they're cold, emotionally unavailable, distant, abusive, when there's addictions in the home. They're always, you know, when the when the parent or the primary caregiver are always unresponsive to the child's emotional need, when they reject the child if they're sick or injured when they encourage premature independence. And for example, like crying is usually not tolerated in these type of households, you know, and someone that develops one of these, these three attachment styles always feels insecure, you know, as an adult needs constant reassurance, you know, holds other people responsible for their emotional well-being. They're anxious if they're not in constant communication with the object of their affection when they're in a relationship. There's also an unusually high level of distrust and fear of rejection that, you know, within these individuals with one of these three attachment styles. And nothing anyone ever does for them is ever enough. There's always this insatiable appetite for affection admiration, or even engaging in things that bring them pleasure, such as uh, sex, sex. Other behaviors also include becoming calculated, you know, in their interactions and minimizing the importance of their emotions. These individuals, you know, when you have one of these, 
attachment styles might seek proximity but avoid intimacy and deflect the pain of loss by focusing on working on large goals and living this lavish extravagant life where they seem externally that they are thriving you know this is where perfectionism comes into place which is just a way to avoid dealing with shame the important piece here is that someone that's developed one of these three attachment styles and is also dealing with toxic shame will feel drawn to partners alternative healing modalities groups or spiritual practices that feed into that maladaptive pattern and cements them there. So understanding your attachment style will give you a lot of information about specific externals that you will be drawn to when trying to avoid uncovering and addressing toxic shame and the trauma that comes from it. I actually did an Instagram series on attachment styles that's very detailed a few months ago, I think it was in February, which you can find if you scroll through my feed or visit my blog. Why can't I just let shame go? Realize that shame creates an imbalance in our body. And part of that imbalance can manifest as stubbornness or resistance to releasing the past and upgrading your emotional blueprint to activate the gene expression of joy flow flow balance joy flow and balance the thing about stubbornness is that it is determination it's just determination that's off kilter because shame has distorted this quality that is powerful and turned it into something that's forceful oppressive and disempowering because whenever we're forcing anything, we're slowly descending into lower energetic frequencies because what we're essentially saying is, I don't trust the process. I don't trust that I possess that I possess the strength to address the trauma and to get out of this emotional space that no longer serves me. And toxic shame can be fully released from our system. And it doesn't have to take years to do so. It's not going to happen overnight, but it doesn't have to take years upon years upon years to do so. But it does require an intense focus on addressing trauma and on processed grief that comes from embodying the energy of shame for extended periods. Addressing trauma isn't talking about the shame, how it hurts and why it's wrong. We can talk about something forever and never release it or get out of the maladaptive behavioral pattern, which is why shame can very rarely be healed through a cognitive behavioral therapy because the minute a psychotherapist asks a patient about shame and to describe it, the patient, if the patient hits a crisis point, they will feel compelled to hide and to be not be truthful and perhaps not return to therapy after that session if the pain was overwhelming or if they felt too exposed during the conversation and how that conversation was facilitated. And most of the time, the scene that I'm just describing has nothing to do with the therapist. And it has nothing to do with the therapist being unkind or unqualified or any of that. No, 
But what it has to do with is that the emotional pain inflicted or that's uh, being triggered at that moment during that conversation distorts reality. And shame distorts reality to the point that we're unable to identify the true intention behind a specific process that's meant to help us. And releasing shame will require a consistent, ongoing commitment to releasing it. And most importantly, the incorporation of different classical and experimental healing modalities. The goal of the healing is to approach shame with a heart-centered intention where the driving force of the treatment needs to be a deep level of compassion, which is why affirmations don't necessarily work to heal shame, at least not early in the process when you start uh, unraveling and uncovering it, and it doesn't. Maybe later on it might it might be helpful, right, to, as, as you're working on rebuilding your sense of self. Um, so the th- you know going back to the goal of this treatment is that you know the treatment's focus can uh, should be um to access the core beliefs that formed during the traumatic experience and to address to help you know the patient or the person dealing with the shame address any history of abuse the person might be dealing with um, because that is what's going to start the conversation. Well, that's what's going to move the person from surface level soothing to actual, an actual healing process. I have a few prompts. There, there are a few prompts, um, that I put together that can be helpful to open that door to the prison of shame there. I mean, these, these, prompts are are used usually when dealing with shame um, in different scenarios so instead of saying i feel shamed when replace it with i think i believe and i choose so for example i think i'm unlovable because my parents said so i believe i'm worthless because i haven't been able to sustain a long-term uh, romantic partnership as an adult I choose isolation when I know my pain will be obvious to others. And your because doesn't have to be an elaborate story. It, in fact, it shouldn't be. It should be shortened to the point in whatever comes up in that moment when you're going through that because a storyline can just be distracting and it could just be another way again of avoiding or minimizing and trying to alleviate the pain that you're feeling as you're starting to uncover this so how do I free myself from shame I do want to say that releasing shame will not feel good because what we're doing is essentially a very very profound process where we're moving past our comfort zone and renouncing access to what's familiar that gives us 
a predictable outcome of emotional pain and emotional turmoil. You know, and it's and if we've been dependent on that for years to avoid the actual pain or alleviate the actual pain of shame, it's not going to feel good. But keep in mind that the discomfort is transitory. It's kind of like, you know, when I think of that, when I think about releasing shame, I think about kind of like the first time we ever went to the gym or exercised, right? We were probably sore, exhausted, felt like we were completely out of shape or didn't know, you know, weren't like strong enough to do certain things. And yet by the second or third week of consistent workouts, we stop getting sore and exercise starts becoming the new normal for our body because we're turning off the gene expression of being out of shape and upregulating or turning on the gene of expression of being physically fit and athletic. Once we dismantle shame from its core, we can start realigning with our true nature. Uh, you know, we can start seeing shame, seeing shame for what it is, seeing shame as something that doesn't have our best interest in mind, that doesn't protect us, that doesn't keep us safe. And once we are able to see shame in that way, we can shift our focus onto acknowledging our micro wins in our healing journey. So how well we've done to get through this, how we've thrived, how we're blossoming. And another important piece in the process of releasing and recovering from toxic shame is rebuilding our relationship with self, but also building connections and a support system with people that will respect and support your humanity and who you are as an individual rather than reject it. These can be mentors, therapists, peers from joining an interest-based group, or even a romantic partner if you have one at that time. The goal is to build a sense of belonging, community, and safety that perhaps you've felt like you've never had. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in for your support and I hope that this information was helpful to for uh, helpful for your healing journey. Please subscribe and share this episode with anyone you might think uh, would benefit from listening to this information. We'll chat next week. Bye.